0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments, where we invite leaders from our investment team to offer their analysis of the investment landscape and the economic outlook. I'm Jay Diamond, head of thought leadership for Guggenheim Investments, and I'll be hosting today. We are recording this episode on April 26, 2023. Now, before we begin, I just want to mention that we are delighted to see that our listenership has grown since we launched about a year and a half ago. And so we want to thank all of you who have been tuning in. If you like what you are hearing, please rate us five stars. And please don't hesitate to send any questions you have for us to macromarkets at guggenheiminvestments.com. Okay, now on with the show. With the Silicon Valley bank turmoil seeming to recede further into the rearview mirror, investors are now able to resume their focus on what is most important to their portfolios, the future. And if you were a professional fixed income money manager, this means having a view on a number of different critical issues. For example, what's ahead for monetary policy and how will it affect the economy? And most importantly, from an investment perspective, how will these variables affect credit performance and market dynamics? To help answer these questions and connect them to portfolio strategy, we are very fortunate to have back with us, portfolio manager, Adam Block. Adam's a Managing Director and has been with Guggenheim Investments for 11 years, and he's a leader of our Total Return Portfolio Management Team. Adam is always very thoughtful in his approach to the portfolios that he and his team manage, so his visit is especially timely. Welcome back, Adam, and thanks again for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jay. Now, Adam, uh, the Portfolio Manager has to have a 360-degree, four-dimensional view of the investing environment when formulating portfolio allocations and investment strategy. So let's go through a little bit of what you're looking at right now, starting with your view on the economic backdrop. And I wanna frame it the following way. Do you think the Fed is satisfied on the progress to date in their inflation fight? And what do you think they will do next week and beyond? Sure. I really don't think they're
1: satisfied with where we are. And, and obviously there have been a, a number of road bumps over the last uh, couple months. You referenced Silicon Valley in particular. Uh, but despite those, the inflation trends do seem to be going in the right direction. Uh, we are seeing conflicting signals in the U.S. economic data that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Some data showing a worsening economic slowdown, other data showing an apparent reacceleration. So this kind of juxtaposition of data conclusions is, is particularly problematic for the Fed. That was probably most obvious in manufacturing survey data uh, over the last couple of weeks. Empire Manufacturing Index we hit its best reading in over a year, but the Philly Fed's measure dropped to levels that, that were more akin to past recessions. So adding up that economic data with, with the other data we've seen, we see an economy that's still relatively resilient, but forward-looking data continues to point towards a recession, especially with an ongoing pullback in bank lending. Ultimately, regarding the Fed, our house view is the Fed will hike another 25 basis points next Wednesday, but a hot reading on ECI number coming up on Friday here could cause expectations for Fed hikes in June and beyond to go up. So
0: given all this, uh, what is the the firm's current thinking on recession timing? And more to the point, are you seeing any signs of economic slowdown when you're looking at quarterly corporate earnings? Sure. So our macroeconomic and, and investment research group
1: spends a lot of time on thinking about probability of recession and, frankly, what a recession might look like. And, you know, ultimately, they still believe that recession will take hold later this year. And we're starting to see some real signs of economic slowdown, whether in corporate earnings or the sizable increase in jobless claims from recent lows. Both of those certainly increase the probability of a recession. But it's important to contextualize what a recession might look like. And and ultimately, we do believe that while it's likely that a recession does take hold later this year, that's likely to be a a relatively shallow recession. And, And some of the factors that point to that are extremely low household debt. Relative to disposable income on the consumer side. And then on the corporate side, somewhat similarly, the degree of, of interest payments relative to corporate earnings or, or corporate cash flows is is at record lows, at least relative to other periods leading up to historical recessions. So both the consumer is delevered, the corporate has delevered. And ultimately, that means a recession, if it does come to fruition, will be much less severe than what we've seen in the past in all likelihood.
0: Now, Adam, I know you also spend a lot of your time looking at market conditions you know, where you're going to be investing, what the markets are showing you, how would you characterize these now versus pre-Silicon Valley Bank and during the crisis period? In other words, are we back to, quote, normal?
1: Broadly, yes, we we are back to normal, though there's still pockets of abnormalities. Away from the GSIBs, the the big six banks, plus a few others, regional banks and insurance paper is still well wide on a yield and spread basis of where it was pre-Silicon Valley Bank. So while it's probably fair for regional banks to still be that much wider, given the uncertainties around their deposit bases, and in some cases, their lending quality, you know, that really shouldn't be the case for most insurers whose liabilities are much longer duration and as a result of being locked up through various insurance policies. But these sorts of dislocations, insurance companies being too wide, regional banks being fairly wide, create opportunities for us to to take advantage of.
0: So what are some of the other indicators that you're looking at to help you assess how the market is responding to current events and also what they're expecting? Sure. Well, well, the yield curve right off the bat
1: is so distorted at this point by a variety of factors, whether it's Fed policy or the debt ceiling crisis. So it's at the moment in RV really tough to draw too many conclusions based on the yield curve. What we tend to watch, uh, what we've been watching more recently as an indicator is implied volatility in rates markets as as an indicator for credit valuations in particular. So B of A has what they call the move index, which is really the VIX for the treasury market in effect. Uh, And that measures back near the 2022 highs, meaning interest rate volatility, implied volatility in interest rates is at the same levels where it was in the depths of 2022's volatility crisis. And that measure is correlated pretty well over the past year with investment-grade corporate spreads. So specifically, this is a technical dynamic that has been moving credit spreads wider or tighter, not a fundamental credit-based factor. So we think that rate volatility should fall as we near the end of the rate hike cycle. And that should ultimately be a positive technical for credit, for high-quality credit
0: in particular. So that's something that we're really looking to take advantage of at the moment. And what are you seeing as far as broad market technicals and liquidity? Liquidity is,
1: is fair for reasonable size orders in the credit space, but large blocks can still take some time to clear the market, certainly much longer than, than they would have taken several years ago. And to us, that's really a, a result of banks having to trim their balance sheets, and in particular, it's coming at a time when the Fed is still letting their balance sheet run off. So the marginal buyer for a large size just isn't there anymore again that can create opportunities to be a liquidity provider and attractive levels just a matter of having enough dry powder to be able to do so at the right time
0: well given all that we've discussed so far how are you thinking about portfolio strategy right now
1: so starting with duration positioning and then moving on to credit but first with duration we're we're pretty neutral in in strategies that are benchmarked to an index and generally relatively low on duration overall in our absolute return or non-benchmarked strategies the, there's extreme uncertainty around the path for interest rates, in our view, and, and that uncertainty really hinges around each economic data release being seemingly more significant than last and, and being ever more important in determining Fed policy. What, from one week it's retail sales, to the next week it's non-farm payrolls, to the next week it's inflation data, and then each economic data point seems more important than last. So really absent inside track to to those data releases, which obviously you know no one has. We view duration bets as as having relatively low expected return relative to the volatility of those bets. You know, ultimately a, a low sharp ratio type investment as as we think about it. But with respect to credit, we broadly see quite a bit of value in higher quality credit where we feel comfortable holding those positions through a recession. Can earn a very attractive high level of yield given those ball dynamics, in particular that we discussed earlier. ABS certainly looks cheap with the spread differential relative to corporates at the 90th percentile of the past 10 years, meaning ABS has only been cheaper to corporates about 10% of the time over the past decade. So there's a lot of opportunities, but most of those we see concentrated in in higher quality parts of the market.
0: Now, Adam, Silicon Valley Bank was a shock, and we're still feeling some of the reverberations with uh, First Republic. But even to those who knew that the fed policy would eventually break something it was still a shock where do you think the next black swan is likely to come from and but more importantly what lessons did you and your team learn from this episode we've asked ourselves that a
1: lot over the past couple months and kind of tough not to after march's events but we're really not in the business of, of predicting black swans so the best we can do is to ensure that we're conservatively positioned during these late cycle periods you know as you said Everybody seemingly knew that Fed policy would eventually break something, but it's incredibly difficult to identify what that thing that's going to break is. So the biggest lesson to be taken away is, is kind of, once again, one of the most basic fundamentals of investing, which is the importance of diversification. Whether it's the sector level, we're careful to diversify across multiple different fixed income sectors to, to a very wide degree, and then more specifically at the in, individual issuer level unless we're getting paid more than enough to take significant idiosyncratic risk with an individual issuer. Diversification is really key and and the best way to avoid these kind of late cycle blowups,
0: as you put it. Well, that's an important note for any investor. Well, listen, Adam, before we let you go back to your uh, busy day job, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Sure. I mean... I think given the uncertainty on the horizon, whether it's Fed policy, recession expectations, the, the mini banking crisis we just talked about, it's incredibly important at this point to keep liquidity levels elevated. We'll ultimately get paid more to be a liquidity provider in the future than we're getting paid right now. So being patient, especially with the high level of income we can get from low risk assets at the moment is incredibly valuable and, and should ultimately position us to be able to be opportunistic down the road here.
0: Adam, again, thank you very much for your time and your insight. I hope you'll come back and visit with us soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Jay. And thanks to all of you who have joined us for our podcast. Again, if you like what you are hearing, please rate us five stars. And if you have any questions for Adam or any of our other podcast guests, please send them to macromarkets at guggenheiminvestments.com and we will do our best to answer them on a future episode or offline. I'm Jay Diamond and we look forward to gathering again for the next episode of Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments. In the meantime, for more of our thought leadership, visit GuggenheimInvestments.com slash perspectives. So long.
2: Important notices and disclosures. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Stock markets can be volatile. Investments in securities of small and medium capitalization companies may involve greater risk of loss and more abrupt fluctuations in market price than investments in larger companies. The market value of fixed income securities will change in response to interest rate changes and market conditions, among other things. Investments in fixed income instruments are subject to the possibility that interest rates could rise, causing their value to decline. High yield securities present more liquidity and credit risk than investment-grade bonds, and may be subject to greater volatility. Investors in asset-backed securities, or ABS, including mortgage-backed securities, or MBS, and collateralized loan obligations, or CLOs, generally receive payments that are part interest and part return of principal. These payments may vary based on the rate loans are repaid. Some asset-backed securities may have structures that make their reaction to interest rates and other factors difficult to predict, making their prices volatile and are subject to liquidity and valuation risk. CLOs bear similar risk to investing in loans directly, such as credit, interest rate, counterparty, prepayment, liquidity and valuation risks. Loans are often below investment grade, may be unrated, and typically offer a fixed or floating interest rate. This podcast is distributed or presented for informational or educational purposes only, and should not be considered a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment product, or as investing advice of any kind. This material is not provided in a fiduciary capacity, may not be relied upon for or in connection with the making of investment decisions, and does not constitute a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. The content contained herein is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal or tax advice and or a legal opinion. Always consult a financial, tax and or legal professional regarding your specific situation. This podcast contains opinions of the author or speaker, but not necessarily those of Guggenheim Partners or its subsidiaries. The opinions contained herein are subject to change without notice. Forward-looking statements, estimates and certain information contained herein are based upon proprietary and non-proprietary research and other sources. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable but are not assured as to accuracy. No part of this material may be reproduced or referred to in any form without express written permission of Guggenheim Partners LLC. There is neither representation nor warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Guggenheim Investments represents the investment management businesses of Guggenheim Partners, LLC. Securities are distributed by Guggenheim Funds Distributors, LLC.